Norfolk Southern is delivering a low carbon economy, which benefits everyone. We're providing customers a way to significantly reduce their supply chain transportation emissions and improve air quality in our communities. As the first class one railroad to offer green bonds, I can tell you, we're not just in the business of moving freight. We are in the business of a better planet. Blue Global contends that there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chain today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're gonna have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hello, welcome to Net Zero Carbon, a show at FreightWaves where we focus on information, insights, and inspiration and sustainability around transportation. I'm Danny Gomez, and today I'm joined by Tyler Cole, our very own Director of Carbon Intelligence. Tyler, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Danny. Thanks for having me. I'm sure we're going to have a fun time talking all things sustainability. Yeah, you know, I feel fortunate that you've joined the team, um, and you know, I think it's for the benefit of everybody, for, for people to hear your thoughts and your experience in, in sustainability. I, we want to be creating community and I think having um, you as a part and really leading that for, for Freight Waves in terms of the conversations we're having is super important. So again, thanks for joining. Yeah, I, I totally agree. They're important conversations to have and I'm excited to be a part of them. And honestly, that's, that's one of the big reasons I decided to join Freight Waves was because the impact they have on building community and consensus and highlighting trends and forward thinking changes happening in the industry. So we've got a great team around. I'm excited to not be building it alone, but to be working with you and the rest of the team. And uh, we're going to do some big things for the space, make an impact. Awesome. So let's dive into you a little bit. Um, do you mind just giving us a little bit of a background on how you got into the transportation industry, how you um, made sustainability such an important part of your professional career and you know why it's so important to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, similar to our founder, I grew up in the industry. Uh, I wasn't around the asset side, but my dad was a, a freight broker for a long time. So I was the, the kid walking around dispatcher's desk, stealing pennies off and sword fighting with rulers and doing all those things in the summers. Uh, I was fortunate after I graduated school uh, to move down to Dallas as they started a new 3PL and work for them. So I spent seven years in logistics operations, everything from truck dispatch, um, managing dedicated truckload reefer, drive-in intermodal LTL uh, for multiple accounts into you know pricing and bid management and carrier procurement. Ultimately ended up in sales and account management before um, before it was time for us to, to move on. So while in Dallas, married, two kids, third kid on the way. Uh, Nashville was home and calling us to be closer to family. So decided to make a shift. But I should mention during the last few years, um, with the brokerage, which was TTS, um, was who I was with. Um, I was fortunate to have some forward-thinking customers who allowed us to do some really unique, unique things. So, you know, at the time, rewind to the early 2010s, you know, diesels, five, six bucks a gallon out in California. You've got Boone Pickens and Clean Energy and all the guys touting CNG is the next biggest thing in trucking and, um, you know, OEMs racing to put out equipment and people trying to test it. It's kind of like where we are now with, with EVs, right? Um, but we were fortunate um, to have customers who would allow us to do some things. So I was uh, put together a pilot for CNG LNG trucks out in LA, running to Vegas and then local LA, um, really testing performance and greenhouse gas emissions, and 
um, it was fun. It was it was a cool opportunity. And honestly, I wasn't even focused on the environment. It was a cost savings, you know, revenue generator for us. So it was more. And this is true. The rest of my career, you know, the business opportunity led me to focus on the environmental opportunity. Um, so that's how I came into it. But fast forward, moving to Nashville, getting here before the baby's born. And I was lucky to land enough, uh, lucky enough to land with the biofuels trading company here in town. Um, eco energy, the uh, market and trade, ethanol, biodiesel, natural gas. Um, and it was a whole wholesale shift for me to move from being a, a third party logistics service provider into a really a shipper focused transportation world, learning a new mode with a new product that's hazardous and chemical and moving uh, unit trains and inland marine and barge and exports, tanker trucks. Just, it was a it was a great learning opportunity for me to see the upstream fuel supply chain, right? Because because biofuels exist at the intersection of oil and ag, right? Um, so I learned a lot. I got to work with uh, some of the smartest people I've ever been around. Um, eventually, once I learned how the supply moved and was comfortable with imports and exports, um, I started taking on some account sales roles and then eventually ended up trading, uh, which is where I thought I was going to be for the rest of my career. And that's where you and I connect on a lot of stuff, right? Understanding how, how markets work for energy and fuel. Um, so I ended up trading our environmental credits, which dovetailed nicely into my, you know, focus on sustainability. So it was a, a business opportunity that again, had me focusing on, on what's happening in the, in the sustainability realm and specifically low carbon fuels. Um, so I was trading our credits for California's low carbon fuel standard and, um, the RFS RINs, uh, cause we have biofuel blending mandates here in the U S so really, really deep dives into supply and demand fundamentals around how these fuels price into the market, um, what the arbitrage opportunities look like, the global landscape for fuels that are going to compete against fossil. And and I would say really over the last two to three years, that has really accelerated and shifted to where it's now being adopted by every trading company, every big oil company, everybody believes this time is different, that there's a real structural shift happening at a, at a macro standpoint that, that oil and gas are really under pressure in a different way than has happened before. So um, that's a long-winded answer to your question. Um, that's how I ended up uh, joining Freight Waves last month was uh, I had COVID to sit back and think and, and take some online classes in supply chain management and really reignite my passion after having moved away from operations of logistics to, to really be passionate about just how supply chain managers think and execute given the complexities they face. And Freight Waves has always done a good job of informing the industry. Uh, I think they do a great job of amplifying the message of real world trends and complexities, um, contextualizing the news and the data that they produce. So I've been a fan from a long time. And when they leaned into sustainability with their carbon summit this spring, uh, I was pretty quick to get on Twitter and DM Craig and, and, just be bold enough to tell them I think they've got a unique opportunity with where they sit as an independent intelligence provider in the market to to really shape shape the direction um, of low carbon in, in transportation. So uh, fast forward, here we are. We've got a team starting to build out and doing some really fun things. Yes, interesting. Your your professional career kind of mirrors what the industry is doing, right? Like you get into alternative fuels, and now you're thinking about even you know longer more sustainable or in the future technologies that will help us get to decarbonization. Um, so there's an, there's an interesting mirror there. And in what I think ha is happening in our, in our industry specifically, 
you know, we have a lot of conversations about what's happening, not only within our industry, but globally, um, not only at the company level, but at the country level. Sustainability is in every other headline. It's being talked about on investor calls. People are hiring chief sustainability officers. What does all this mean? What are all these, uh, these tailwinds that are coming into the sustainability fact, it, sector? And like, how does how does someone um, interpret that? And what does it you know what does it mean for us as professionals in the industry? And how we need to reposition ourselves, similar to what you did. Sure, I think what it means, and the big takeaway should be that everybody needs to wake up to the trend and to do do some reflection on what that means for you and your role with wherever you land in that sector, right? And it's going to be different for different sectors, for different pieces of the supply chain. Um, you know, most of this is, is starting and we'll get into this, I'm sure, but it's, it's an international problem, right? Climate change and global warming and the effects that are being caused by ongoing emissions of fossil fuels is not a U.S. problem. It's a global problem, right? And so, you have to be considerate of where you sit within the global supply chain, within your country's goals and there within your sector's goals and your company's goals and then your role. And they're all going to be different. And that's what's unique about sustainability as a, as a discipline is it's the most cross-functional discipline that's out there, right? Because you touch every part of an organization because it's not just emissions measurement, right? We're talking about all parts of climate. So water conservation, we're talking about the human capital element of it, where you have to be responsive to labor practices and gender pay and equity, equality within the workplace. There's a wide ranging umbrella that falls, you know, that encompasses everything that is sustainability. So specific to freight, um, I really chose to lean into this because it is a slow moving. First, it's a hard to abate sector because you're captive on fossil fuels. Um, for good reason. They're low cost. They're energy dense. They're available. We have infrastructure. They do a lot of things really cheaply. They enable us to have this global supply chain we've built today. So you can't overlook the benefits that come from those things. But when you start recognizing that maybe we've not given enough credit or weight to the externalities that those cause because they're not tangible in our face until oftentimes years later, um, I don't think this industry, specifically freight and logistics, is prepared for what's coming. Um, I don't think they're expectant of the change that's going to be requested of them, not just by their customers, but by finance and uh, external stakeholders, if you're a public company, and, and especially internally, right? Your employees as the, as the workforce gets younger, right? As people start aging out of this industry, because there's a lot of people and freight and transportation who've been at it for a long time. I think over the next five years, the, the retirements that we're going to see specifically in the railroad and other sectors like that is going to be pretty big. So as the industry, uh, and I don't want to go the opposite of matures because we're still constantly maturing, but as we get younger, we start to see that younger workers care more about the values of their workplace. So it's a, a hiring trend, right? So to answer your question, we all have to wake up. Right. And the people that do first will recognize that there's first mover opportunities and there's branding and, and loyalty opportunities that await them if they will engage it in a meaningful way and not just, you know, paint over their past sins. Right. Right. Yeah. And you say something you said something interesting about the trend and um, the guest that we had on uh, Joe Rea said the trend is your friend. Right. Like, don't fight the trend. <laughs> 
figure out a way to to work with him, even, you know, just touching on all the other interviews we've had. Um, Dan Lewis, you know, he's doing a lot to try to educate his customers on um, how they can really embrace this change, this trend that's coming. And Martin Liu was talking about the change in the age of the workforce. You know, it reminds me of an interesting interview that Craig did with um, Michael Lewis, and he was talking about Moneyball. And he said, the interesting thing that we learned from Moneyball was that it wasn't that the the managers that were in place today needed to learn something, a new system, because they were convinced that the old system they were using was working. What they learned was that new managers had to be hired in order to implement the types of strategies that they were seeing, the Moneyball strategy, right? And so it's interesting as we as we come to realize that hopefully hopefully that's not um, always the case. Hopefully you can teach uh, an an old dog new tricks, but um, it'll be interesting to watch. You know, as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot going on and a lot to make sense of in the sustainability space, freight waves, and you know, a reason I think why both of us are here um, has made a conscious effort to be talking more about what's going on in sustainability, reporting a lot more. Um, we had the um, the Net Zero Summit that we did on Earth Day. And on that, we announced uh, carbon intelligence as a product, which is something that you're responsible for. What, what problem is carbon intelligence solving in the marketplace? And how do you see it evolve with this pretty fluid new discipline and requirements that are coming, you know, like you said, sometimes from the top down. Sure. Sure. No, that's a great question. Great point. And I love that that correlation with Moneyball because um, I think it's prescient to the industry because you do have, we do it because this is the way we've done it for a long time. And, and transportation in general is a, a long tail, right? That gets wagged a lot of times in the supply chain, right? It's the last lever you pull sometimes. Um, so carbon intelligence is going to be a great opportunity for us. Um, to really do a couple things. One, prepare the industry for what's coming by providing them the tools to know where they're at and where they want to go. And that dovetails into everything Freight Waves has done from that conference and a lot of the, the custom media and this, this show even, right? It's, how do you say? We're inspiring people, giving them insights into what's happening in the industry. And, and so much of this is going to revolve around education that similar to what Freight Waves did with Sonar, and SCI is you're giving people a new tool that doesn't have a comparison in the market today, right? You're giving them insights that were previously not held by anybody because of what we're doing with the unique way we're capturing data and then layering on intelligence on top of it and building proprietary indices and indicators that help people make decisions, right? Where I think the market is heading and there's um, a couple difficulties with this to answer your question around pain points is if you're a shipper, and your stakeholders or your management are requesting you to measure and reduce your carbon footprint X amount over time, right? As we march toward these goals, most of these goals are 2050, 2030, 2025, right? Only the, the forward thinking, really data heavy, capable, probably emission light companies like a tech company um, really has a grasp on a near term target. But if you're a shipper that sets a target, how are you going to empower your supply chain staff to measure and make those decisions. We can, we can throw a calculator on any tool today and take a simple math formula and come up with an estimate of what we're doing in the industry, right? 
the problem that we aim to solve at Carbon Intelligence is making that data as accurate and granular as possible in a way that elevates our tool above others as the go-to for supply chain emissions, benchmarking, monitoring, analytics, and forecasting. So it starts there. It starts with, what are you measuring, right? And if you're a shipper or a carrier and you don't know how to answer that question, call me. We'll put something together for you. But that's where you start. You shouldn't go invest in offsets or new equipment or anything else until you know what your footprint is. Um, I've done this personally recently and had to, to do some individual homework and understand, all right, if I'm going to walk the walk, what's my what's my personal individual footprint, right? Go to your utility, find out what the grid average carbon intensity is. They probably have an option for you to invest in renewables by paying an extra penny a kilowatt hour or something. Um, but it starts with intelligence, right? It starts with measuring. So that's that's the problem we aim to solve that most operational shippers may not even be aware yet that it's a problem. But over the next two to three years, as people start trying to live up to these emission reduction targets, you're going to have management or investors or customers, uh, if you're a supplier, coming to you and asking, what's your plan? What are you doing? And if you don't have a measurement number, where do you start? So you don't want to lose business because you're not playing along. You said it. The trend is your friend. And in general, it's it's bad um, fiduciary management to bet against the trend if you're trading. <laughs> Right. It's a quick way to lose a lot of money. So I made this decision coming to Freight Waves. Right. If if the goal is net zero by 2050, that's what the, the international scientific community is telling us we need to, to do to avoid the worst effects of climate change. For Tyler, that's 30 years to work. Right. That that dovetails nicely with the rest of my career. And if I can use my logistics operator experience and my commodity trading and, and sustainability experience to impact the downstream industry to help them along that path. That's my new North Star, right? So we're going to build the tools that help people understand where they're at and chart that path internally. And, and you and I have talked, there's a lot of long-term goals around how we can help people tangibly take action to reduce and whether that's through partnerships or offsets or tools that we can introduce um, to give them the levers to pull to manage their carbon budget. We're going to build it out, but it starts with measuring. In, in that, you said something to me um, that really struck you mentioned this concept of a carbon budget, right? That, you know, as you think about people setting goals and hopefully they're doing their homework and understanding and analyzing before they go out and say, hey, this is where we'll be on these dates. But once you do set that goal, you've got to work towards it, right? Um, and you may have this concept of a carbon budget that you need to operate your business within a certain carbon intensity range, and maybe if you can describe that, I think it'd be helpful for people. What's the difference between the carbon intensity of your business and the carbon footprint of your business and how those two interplay and how that might inform someone who's in the seat to make the decision of how they meet the external or internal goals that they have mm -hmm. for reducing emissions? Sure. That's an important concept in that, you know, we've talked a lot about providing some educational tools and maybe we'll get into, into that later, but um, helping people understand the jargon and the language and why it's important. Um, if you start internationally, right, we've got a global carbon budget, right? That's why the Paris Agreement, these international climate treaties have honed in on specific percentages relative to a baseline. So for the global, it's, you know, 50% by 2050 or 2030 to get to net zero by 2050 relative to a 2010 baseline or whatever the number is. So that measurement is looking at actual total 
metric tons of carbon dioxide, CO2 equivalent, usually because there's some other greenhouse gases we care about. But most people know CO2 is the number because it's it's 75% of man-made greenhouse gases. So it's it's the number we go with. When you're thinking about your your company's footprint, you're thinking not just total emissions from all activities, manufacturing, indirect activities like outsourced transportation, the power for your facilities that you're using. <clears throat> all of that gives you an aggregate number. And there's there's some formal international carbon accounting rules like the greenhouse gas protocol and things like that that lay out standards for how you calculate this. And we're using some of those tools ourselves to inform our, our transportation emissions measurement tool. Um, so you've got your total number. That's just metric tons of carbon aggregated looking back at the data. When you think about key performance indicators for us as an industry within transportation, everything's measured on how much weight you're moving for distance, right? So a common KPI is CO2 equivalent per ton mile, right? Or in, in metric per ton kilometer, however you want to break it down. And that just takes your, your total emissions over your relevant activity that you're going to measure. And that's a useful tool because it lets you benchmark against other peers within similar sectors. It gives you a target over time that you can work towards where you have more than one lever to pull. So total emissions or we're more efficient with our mileage. Um, I think the industry is going to migrate towards those numbers, total emissions, and then a trend. And I think eventually, you know, we'll start to see maybe it's a supplier decision being made. You know, transportation is a piece of your total corporate emissions. So suppliers will have it mean more to them if they're working with a Walmart for say, uh, and carriers maybe even get, get there as well, right? We've got smart way and tools like that, that help us understand, you know, who's a good actor, who's taking this seriously. I think that can be blown up and, and provide even more data as we start to really walk this talk as an industry. If you look at some of the sustainability reports that come out, you, you may come across someone who's actually emitting more than they were. I mean, supply chain is at an interesting year or 12 to 18 months um, activities picked up what they also may say look while our footprint has increased we switched a bunch to intermodal or we you know we're successful in doing some ev imp implementation and some last mile um parts of the business how do how do we interpret the two it, it's not to say that you can't grow your business right um like but if if you if we look at those reports, what are we really trying to tease out from them? Yeah, you're trying to understand their achievements toward their stated goals, right? So as a business, we could stop all of our emissions tomorrow if we just stopped conducting business. <laughs> That's going to be the worst way for us to get to net zero, right? Global supply chains are the lifeblood of our economies, right? They, they provide upward mobility for lower and middle-class people. It gives us opportunities to create value, right? You've seen in financial markets, the more liquidity we provide to the market, the more opportunity there is for the whole, the whole pie to grow. So when we think about emissions, you know, the goal is obviously not to grow the whole pie, but also not to limit growth. And that's where we find some, some really um, diverse path options we can walk down, right? From a measurement perspective, it's important to understand your actual emissions. And, and like you know, Dan said in your interview with him, it's not a perfect science. You just have to start, right? So you might pick a baseline of a year where you did more business than, than the prior year or vice versa. So it, it matters less where you start. It matters where you're going, right? So you have flexibility as you're evaluating your footprint to 
set your own kind of guardrails. Best practice will tell you don't change that every day, right? Pick something, stick with it and work towards a goal. So if you're talking about growth over time, you know, we want to see our total emissions go down. In the meantime, as we're growing, maybe we want to see our emissions KPI metric per unit that we're defining go down. You know, if we're adding trucks to our fleet, maybe we want to see our overall, you know, emissions per ton mile go down. And that could be a collaboration with shippers to better optimize our trailers. It could be uh, training our drivers how to be more efficient and get the, the most mileage out of their, their cab that they can. It could be switching to alternative fuels. Like you said, there's lots of levers we're going to be able to pull in this. Um, but the important thing is not to get hung up on the jargon or get so bogged down in the details that you just don't start. You just got to start. That's the most important yeah. thing. So these conversations always go too quick. And you and I often talk um, at length. And so <laughs> there's so much more we need to cover here. I mean, there's there's conversations about offsetting. And like you mentioned, what we plan on doing at Freight Waves, in addition to this show, is to put together some short snippets that we can give out and for people to digest about some key topics. Um, you know, I always love the insetting versus offsetting topic, um, defining key terms, um, even talking about, you know, scenario planning and analysis. Um, aside from that, as we wrap up here, how do you hope to see the industry come together? You mentioned it. It's a global problem, right? And, you know, what is the, how do we come together and put some of the things aside that may have in normal situations kept us from collaborating um, for competitive reasons, but realize that this is a, an everyone problem and not just a singular problem? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my hope in an ideal state would be that we would collaborate in ways that protect competition and encourage innovation, right? And, and sometimes a lot of these changes may happen upstream of where we sit in the supply chain, specific to fuels, right? We might see some breakthrough technologies emerge in alternative fuels or biodiesels or battery technology that accelerate the adoption and, and help us lower overall emissions. And I pray that that happens sooner than later, right? There's a lot of money being put into research, whether it's private investment, SPACs, or government R&D funding that's coming to help move that ball down the field. But what we can do with what we have today requires um, an extraordinary amount of coordination among competitive actors in the supply chain. So I think there is significant value for independent organizations to align around measures needed within the actors in the supply chain. So I'll give you an example. There's a lot of um, momentum because Europe's about 10 years further down the road from us than, than in this issue. They've already got a lot of regulations in place that require reporting and measurement. And pretty soon road transport will be taxed as part of their, their ETS carbon tax. So they've by necessity been further down this road than us. But if you think about the engagement of multinational shippers in the community, a lot of them have presences in Europe. And so they're already thinking about, all right, how do we engage our downstream transportation and freight logistics providers in exchanging relevant data to help us accurately benchmark and measure where we're trying to go? So there's, there's a whole ecosystem being developed around improving collaboration and data sharing in a way that protects competition uh, within this ecosystem. So I think more initiatives like that are needed um, all over the world to help bring together shippers, carriers, uh, IT providers, uh, 
fleet technology providers to help us really drive this forward. So if you have an opportunity to get involved with one of those organizations, please do. Uh, if you don't, call me and, and we can talk about why it's important and I can point you to some resources. But um, those are my two hopes. We see a breakthrough in tech and we see a lot more collaboration among players. This has been great. So for those who want to get in contact with you, um, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, email me, tcole at freightwaves.com. I'm also on Twitter, at Tyler A. Cole. And I try and be mostly relevant to industry topics on there. It's not investment advice. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. It's been great. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dana. Have a good one. Norfolk Southern isn't just in the business of moving freight. They're in the business of a better planet. To learn more about Norfolk Southern's industry-leading sustainability initiatives, go to nscorp.com slash betterplanet.